I'm Jason Sylvia, and this is The Creative Capital Show. A show about creative people and how those creative people turn into entrepreneurs by taking their creativity and turning it into a business and facing all the trials and tribulations along the way. Cocktails and Dreams I'm not talking about some 80s movie. I'm talking about the real-life story of this episode's guest, Michael Silva. When Michael started bartending, he noticed a problem within the cocktail scene. His fellow bartenders and his guests didn't look like him. So from his parents' basement, he started serving his friends and created his own scene called Bass, a roaming premier cocktail experience. He then created a way to take that experience home with Mixer Cocktails. And speaking of stories, his latest business venture called Booth will allow others to tell their story in a place where they can be. Cocktails and Dreams. Enjoy. Actually, I'm just going to start off with, instead of trying to go in a chronological order, we'll, yeah. uh, we'll, we'll make it like a Tarantino film. We'll tell it out of order and hopefully it's interesting. Hopefully, um, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, damn, what's the first question going to be? Um, what, what is Booth? Because I had some, <laughs> some perceptions of it, and then I came to the, um, I guess, the soft opening, r- rough opening, whatever you want to call it. It was really a rough opening because we, we are, my friend was like, this is like a quick story. My boy was like, yo, is rough the new hipster way to say soft? And I was like, nah, bro, like, this shit really is rough. We are not finished. <laughs> <laughs> it's still being built out. It's still being built out, but we were just eager and wanted to put people in it. So what was your perceptions of it first, I guess is what I should say, because I know what I think people's perceptions was as soon as I said that I was getting a space. So, but go ahead. I guess strictly off the social media posts, I thought it was going to be a bar. I was like, oh, this he's opening a, a bar slash night spot in Pawtucket. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and then I came here and then I was, um, I think it was, uh, hopefully I'm pronouncing her name right, Millette. Millette, yes. Uh, she then described the space and I was like, Oh, okay. So it's it's this other thing, it's but is it the other. first thing? And so I, that's why I was like, "Oh, all right. Like that's that's cool." But like, was not what I was expecting either. So, in your own words, um, what what is Booth exactly? So, booth is um, how can I say this? Booth is a place where you can be. Right. That's our little slogan or our little thing. And Booth is a multimedia recreational space, um, meaning. It's just a place where we hope that we can foster anything. When we say anything, we're thinking about like local artists, uh, the community at large. Like people really throw that C word out there a lot. Like community, community, blah blah blah. Um, if you want, if you want to debut your music here, if you want to do, like, if you're a poet and you want to do poetry slams, artists, whatever, whatever. It's really just like an open concept gallery space, if you would that host events and when we host events we're probably always going to have a caterer because we're just going to cater our events we're going to give people a little treat um and it's four owners it's myself and Millette, my girlfriend and we teamed up with tatiana bayana who is incredible who's an amazing work she's the central falls city council at large um and her business partner kelly powers um, they do a bunch of business ventures together and kelly also does a bunch of productions together so essentially it's three different entities um, 
all looking for a place to conduct their business. Um, and we joined resources, joined forces, joined heads, all that, blah, blah, blah. And we found a space. It's two rooms, 1,100 square feet. Um, and in the back, we built out a perfect little, we carved out a perfect little space for it to have, always have a caterer, you know? And so when we have events, we could, whether, again, we're doing a book signing, whether someone's debuting their clothing, whether we're hosting a community leadership board meeting, whatever, whatever, or if it's a professional space in the morning so folks can just come here, use the Wi-Fi, get some work done, feel like they're in a, a different space, we're always going to cater it. So meaning like we're always going to give you refreshments of some sort and depending on what time of night you come, <laughs> you might get a, uh, a beer, something, something. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. What would you say... Um just going off of off of that, that was explanation. A lot, yeah. it, it was good though. Um, yeah. But just to break that down a little bit, what would you say would be the audience or a client or clients, I should say, plural, that you're going after? Because there was a, a number of different uses, which um, we're we're reco I'm recording on location with you at Booth, uh, and it's an awesome space. Yeah, um, this might be like the first. This is like the first ever podcast recording here, and we're hoping go. that it's gonna people are gonna want to do more podcasts here. But go ahead. So there you go. So if you want to start doing podcasting, you need a spot to do it in. Booth could be Booth could be your spot. You know what I mean? Um, besides that, though, like like what type of clientele are you are you going after? Um, as, I mean, as far as uses yeah. for the space. For well, like first and foremost, we're look, we're going after people who look exactly like us, uh, and when I say that, I mean like it's it really is important that we are the owners here, and the owners look the way they do, and they come from where they come from, because we're trying to empower women, we're trying to empower black and brown people, we're trying to we're really trying to be that space in Pawtucket, like primarily Pawtucket. Like if you come from Providence and you want to do something here, that's fine too. But we feel like Pawtucket has an untapped potential of a bunch of creatives and entrepreneurs and dreamers and people who want to just see their vision come to f come to fruition and they need a space to do it or they need a platform. Like that's who our first and foremost, that's who our consumer is. That's who our demographic is. We're trying to target those people. So... You actually went right into what my next question was going to be. Um, what made you choose Pawtucket? Uh, and for those who are listening who are outside of Rhode Island, um, I hope there are people outside of Rhode Island listening to this. Yeah. Um, so if you're outside of Rhode Island, you don't know Rhode Island geography, uh, Providence being like the capital city, like the main city with oh, downtown. Pawtucket, but there are other yeah. cities and towns within Rhode Island and Pawtucket being one of them, very close to Providence, yeah. um, not long of a drive. But what made you choose Pawtucket versus uh, Providence? Well, there's a few reasons, multiple reasons. Well, first and foremost, I mean, like, originally I am from Providence, like, born in Providence. We lived in Providence since I was nine. But we moved to Pawtucket when I was 10, and we literally just moved right down the road. So we was over there uh, off North Main and then just moved right on Main Street, right in Pawtucket. I lived there from I was nine till I was 24, 25. You know what I mean? Like, so to me, that's where I grew up. That's where, that's where I earned my stripes. So I'm from Pawtucket. My parents' house is right on Main Street. Um, and so coming back to Pawtucket was really, 
I shouldn't say coming back to Pawtucket, but being able to do something like this in Pawtucket really is coming full circle because I used to drive down this street or anybody who anybody who's come down this street on Main Street where we are right now has all said the same exact thing. Oh, wow, this place has a bunch of potential. So that was really important. I mean, we were looking for a space regardless. I did not have my heart set out on Pawtucket. I'm not going to lie to anybody. But knowing that we were able to find a space in Pawtucket that worked was great. And second of all, most people don't know this. Most people should know this. I think I'm the first person saying it like this, and I think this should pick up. Pawtucket's probably the most important city in the in the country, like period. Like this country is built off industry. Industry started right here in Pawtucket. Slater Mill is right there. The first ever mill in this country is right there. It's literally we can throw a rock from where we're standing, and like people don't really understand. I mean, you knew that if you're from here because everybody went to those uh, field trips growing up, but. Like I say, like I like to say a lot, like Pawtucket really is probably the most important city in the entire country. And to me, it has a completely different meaning from the industry because there's a lot of Cape Verdeans here. We're right on Cabo Verde way, <laughs> Cabo Verde way, excuse me. Um, and so there's, a, like I said, there's a bunch of things that tie into it, but all of it being Pawtucket really is a special place and I'm just happy to be here and call this place home. So you mentioned, and if you're hearing background noise, it's because the... We're the not, artist not. Ariel Cruz, the most notorious artist coming out of Providence, I mean coming out of Rhode Island, and is next door building his incredible space. I don't even know how we're gonna compete with this. Oh, or you get some of the traffic from it. Or we get some of the traffic, but we're actually serving two different things. Uh, we're probably gonna be working together, but if you can hear that, sorry, apologize. He does a lot of work. He's really good. And no, you know what? It just it just means that. If anybody's like, oh, like they must edit this podcast, it's like, nope, nope. We we keep we we keep most of the conversation. It's very little, very little editing, um, for better or worse. You would mention uh, this idea of um, or seeing a lot of potential in Pawtucket. Could you maybe go into that a little bit more, as far as like what you mean by that, like like as far as people, as far as people maybe moving in now? Is there, is there like a more well, creative set moving in or something There like is, that? the people here first and foremost, I mean, first and foremost, I think there's people everywhere that have something to contribute to. And I think there's people everywhere that have stories to tell. Um, and if you're able, and again, for us, like we just want to provide a platform for people to tell those stories. We have our stories to tell. Also on a more, um, which, which I forgot, I don't know what the word is right now, but I guess the demographic is changing. Some people are, I mean, it's just, it happens naturally every couple of years. When I say couple of years, probably every couple of decades. But, um, you know, there's people who are probably want to move closer to Providence, can't afford to live in Providence, so they live in Pawtucket because it's a little bit cheaper. Um, it, you mentioned it, it really is the town, the city right next over. It takes like four minutes to get to Providence from where we are right now. Like yeah. not even the highways right there. Um, there's the train station coming soon. So people, they really think that what's the plan is going to be that it's like, and now you could like live in Boston and people are doing it right now as we speak. I know folks who do it right now. You can work in Boston. So you have access to this like, you know, like mid-level metropolitan city, it's still a major city. Boston's technically a major city. I mean, is it really, you know I mean? In my own opinion, I think, I've said this before on the show, I think Providence is over Boston, but that's just, that's just me. That's just us being biased, yeah. Uh, but it's not, it's not that. Boston is definitely cooler than Providence. We just don't really know Boston like that. We know Providence like we know the back of our hands. I feel so like we're we have better bars. Um, we have, yeah, I guess, I mean, I shouldn't even say that. We'll get back to that part, but <laughs> now you have access to these major cities because you can take a train and you can live in Pawtucket and they're going to bring that here 
right on that sea at Central Falls, Pawtucket line. So like I said, Pawtucket is a place that's just budding. It's just going to continue to grow. Um, I don't like to use the word potential just because it already is here. So now we just need infrastructure. We need more people who are doing things like Booth. We need more people who are doing things like Ariel across the street. We need more people like Leslie Moore, who is who I just recently met, but is really just a saint. And she is changing the way downtown is looking. And we just need more people like that. Um, who, who is Leslie Moore? Leslie Moore is the woman who owns everything that we're sitting on in, in this gotcha. entire street. She owns everything. I wish I knew a lot more about her that I can comment a lot more. But if uh, Leslie Moore is a big part of why we're here today. So she's great. Speaking of stories, um, your story, you started out, and correct me if I'm wrong with any of this information, hmm. uh, did you start out, or are you still a special educate uh, special education? I'm teacher? still. I mean, I called out of work today. <laughs> um, but yeah, I still work. I work for an edu- a, um, a special education or special ed organization. I'm not going to name them. Who cares? Um, I work at one of the local high schools. It's been really rewarding work. I'm actually in the middle of my. I'm going. I'm getting closer to the end of my ninth year, and it's probably been my favorite year so far. Um, I've been doing that for a little while. Uh, it's really rewarding work. I love it, uh, but I'm just over it. I'm ready to lean into all the other things I got going on. But like my, you know, it's weird. It's like my old man was an educator too, so he still is an educator. He's a uh, vice. You know, he's a principal. He's a high school principal. So that stuff really does run in the family. I do really well around adolescence working with kids like that i've always been well with good with that i think because you coached basketball as well for uh, yeah you asking good questions <laughs> yeah i'm, I used I'm to trying co- to be on my nardwar right now <laughs> yeah i <laughs> i used to coach bas- high school basketball for a little while for two years i did it maybe two and a half years i think it was um that was till this day the best those were the best jobs ever was playing was coaching basketball was the best it was i mean like it was I mean, it was just junior varsity stuff and some varsity stuff. Nothing major, but I loved it. I was really good at it. People responded well to it. I responded well to it. Um, uh, And I did that for a little while, too. I mean, I've always loved playing ball. It's really the only thing I'm interested in as far as, like, sports and, like, hobby. I mean, I guess you could say I'm into bartending, but, like, it's work now. So, but, like, I don't care about the NFL. I don't give a damn about. I really don't care about politics. I don't really care about MLB. I don't care about golf. I don't care about literally anything except basketball, which is weird. I don't care about anything except basketball and music. I mean, I usually don't care about sports unless I bet on it, which is weird. Yeah, I don't bet on it either. I don't really, I just literally don't care about anything. I don't care about the NFL. I give a rat's ass about who wins the Super Bowl. I really don't give a shit except NBA. I love the NBA and I love basketball. So, Speaking of things that you care about, how did you go, how, how does one transition from um, this background, right, years in uh, teaching, um, special education, coaching boys basketball, and then you transition from that and you end up in New York via a Lutheran mission? Yeah, wow, damn, how did you know that? <laughs> I do my research. Yo, uh... I really, uh, so I moved to New York in like 2015, and that was really because I just wanted to be in New York. Um, I, like a year or two before that, 
I uh, I spent a weekend out there, and it was like we had all everybody. I mean, you from Rhode Island at the time? People didn't really just go to New York like that. Like you might have went out there for a day, touched it. You know what I mean? It came right back. Like folks didn't really necessarily used to really travel like that. Like Instagram has made everybody a nomad, which is cool because you got to be able to geotag, right? You got to let people know you're somewhere else. But this was like 2014. I went to go visit one of my best friends out there. College best friend, still we still talk like every single day. Still one of my good friends. I wouldn't be doing a lot of this stuff if it wasn't for him. Um, and I sp- spent a weekend out there. And like obviously, I was like, you know, probably spent a little bit more money than I should have. I fell in love with it, and I really wanted to just live in New York because the energy was great. I was one of those people who thought that like they needed to leave Rhode Island, um, just go experience something new. And I mean, the only experience I had was in education, so I took this like shit job. I mean, it was honest work. It was good work. The pay was trash. Was was that the Lutheran connection? The Luther- okay. Yeah. okay. I, was just, I was trying to figure out. Yeah, that job. I mean, it was just like I took that job and I knew, and I'd always been someone who worked two or three jobs just out of boredom and out of just like keeping cash flowing, you know, like especially with teaching and working in those like working with kids and adolescents, like you always work early in the day. So I would always keep a night job. I used to work in a grocery store. I used to work Whole Foods for a little while. Whatever, whatever, used to work. So I'd always had another job. So, like, when I got to New York, I was like, yo, I need to get another job. It was my first time out on my own, my first time paying rent, paying all my bills, all that shit, yada, yada, yada. I was like, yeah, I need to get another job. And I got really lucky as fuck one of my first couple of nights in New York City hanging out with my boy. And we hung out all night. And he was his uncle, who used to be, who was really from Pawtucket, was this little short dude, Chelso, his name. And he was just like a hospitality mogul in New York City. He'd been there for 21 years. He'd worked in so many different places. And he was friends with a bunch of other people. And I, through one of the, his friends, I met this woman named Carolyn who was... Carolyn was fine. She was just like this... She was. They called her mama because she was like... I mean, I was 25 at the time. She had to be like 42, 43 at the time. She was definitely an older woman. But she was a good-looking older woman. She just... It's New York, man. Everybody's old, but they all look young. You know what I mean? So... And she just straight up asked me verbatim, like, oh, you look mad cool. Would you like to work at my bar? And I was just like, uh, yeah, because I knew I, I knew I wanted to work in a bar, but I didn't know that I wanted to be a cocktail bartender. I just knew that I wanted to not wake up in the morning anymore so early. I knew I didn't want to work, wake up so work days. I knew I wanted to work nights and just be around social people and just meet. You mean like, but that's like such a loose dream, right? It's just like, I just want to be a bartender in New York and... And and just drink coffee and smoke cigarettes and have a beautiful apartment and not be able to take anything serious. Like, I feel like that's such a lofty dream for a lot of people. It's not very concrete. And my dreams weren't concrete about New York. I just knew I wanted to be in New York. And that's the wrong way to go about moving anywhere <laughs> because within a year, I was on my ass and I moved back to Rhode Island. Probably the best thing that ever happened. <laughs> so, so, you, so, you took the, so you took the next question, um, which was good. So, so lead, we're just moving right along. Um, so that's what led you back to Rhode Island. So it was, was I, yo after a year, bro. I was miserable. I was miserable at New, in New York. Was that due to just the lifestyle of New York, or the job of bartending, or both? Um, well, I mean, they tell you, you well, the, the the number one mistake that I made, and I think, you know, like looking back. I wish I knew this. I thought that I could just switch my address, pull up, and shit would be peachy. You know what I mean? Like, I could just pull up to New York. All right, boom, I'm in New York now. Whatever, talk to me nice. I'm out here doing whatever, whatever. Like, it was hard, man. And uh, I wasn't making a lot of money. I wasn't managing my money well. 
My apartment was tiny. I mean, tiny, 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 tiny. There was my, you know, I had my own separate room. I shared a bathroom with someone. My bathroom was so tiny. And then the person I shared the bathroom with, I just ended up fucking hating that person because she was just filthy and didn't clean or anything like that. And I just hated that. And then six months after I moved to New York, my girlfriend at the time moved in. And you could be living in the fucking White House. As soon as a girl moves in, you need more room. It's just how that works. You know what I mean? As soon as anybody else moves into your space, you just need more room. So that was driving me nuts. She wasn't doing so well. She was really, she was like drowning out there, struggling. And I was just super stressed. And I hated that job. I hated, I was, I just hated it. Then it wasn't working so well at the bar. First, you know, like my, I mean, I, my first, after a while, it just wasn't working out. I wasn't really doing what I was supposed to be doing. Like looking back now, I was just like not cut out for it. I just wasn't cut out for it. So that bar in New York, was that a like cocktail slash craft cocktail bar or was it more of like a nightclub-y style It bar? was a craft, it was a co- classic cocktail bar, like craft cocktails. Okay. Like they were okay. slinging cocktails, but they put a DJ in there on Fridays, Saturday nights. It was beautiful, man. I fell in love with that place. Excuse me. Like that was the best part about New York was working on the East Village I used to look forward to those nights every weekend because it was new. Every 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 shift was new, you know what I mean? And, like, it was New York, so I was just happy to be there, you know what I mean? So, like, again, we're right on Bowery Street, East Village. Like, it's happening. Oh, so you're meeting all sorts of I'm people. I'm meeting all every... sorts of people, all type. you know what I mean? Like, it's really the place to be. I'm getting out of work at, like, 5, 6 o'clock in the morning. I used to get out of work, and I'd be the only person in the streets. And, like, I don't I mean, it's one thing to be in New York when... Everything is going. You can feel that adrenaline, but to feel that beast getting ready to wake up underneath your feet, because you would start to you would start to feel some of the trains like yeah. pretty much revving up, getting ready to go, and that was really cool because this whole city would be as, like not awake yet, and I'd be the only person walking for blocks, and that was kind of cool. Um, but New York was hard, man, and I'm not afraid to say that I, it didn't work out for me. You know what I mean? So with that being said, you get back to Rhode Island, and correct me if I'm wrong, was your first bartending job at the Dorrance? No. My okay. first bartending job was working for a catering company, and then that was, like, my first job. And, like, I got that job because I threw the New York word around, and they got me that job. But that was, like, my first, like, real deal, like, bartending job, and that was just doing catering events and shit like that, and that shit was trash, too. It was a nice little summer gig, whatever, whatever, but I hated it. It lasted like one year, but then I got the Dorrance job. I got mad lucky getting that job, too. I was going to say, the, the, as far as like... The Dorrance changed everything for me. It changed everything for me. It changed everything for Providence. <laughs> I was going to say, like, like Dorrance would be is a hell of a place to have like one like first tenth gig. I don't care what bartending gig you have. Yeah. Oh, like, man. Oh, bro. Bar they, is, but. like... You know what's crazy? Like, I the first time I walked into the Dorrance for, and like, that's the last time I'm gonna use that word. I don't really wanna even say there, that word anymore. Okay. But the first time I walked in there, we're just gonna say there, and like, we're gonna reference this place for like the next maybe couple of minutes while I get this shit off my chest. The first time I walked in there was the time I had my interview. Like, I really wasn't, I had no business getting that job. Like, straight up, had no business. I also had no idea what this place was. So if you did, I also had no idea about the cocktail scene in Providence. I also had no idea about the downtown scene. I, also, I had no idea. I got hired because I was 6'2", 
dark, handsome, and I had some fucking experience in working in it. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it got to, it became, I, a few people told me that I was pretty much as high because the door, <laughs> that this place used to catch a lot of flack for not hiring uh, minorities or not hiring people of color, you know what I mean? And not having enough of those employees in there and only serving a certain type of demographic. What year was this? Like, just to. This was 2017. Okay. Yeah. So at this time, I'd been back from, from New York about a year, a little over a year. I'd been back since New York. Cause I, got, I moved back to New York in to the, uh, the beginning of the summer in June, like maybe the end of June 2016. Okay. Um, so yeah, I got that job at the don't at the there. <laughs> Whatever. I feel like there was bad blood and at the, towards the end. And and I think that's why I keep stumbling over that word. There was some bad blood and and the big like for me, like there was no blood bad blood on my end. You know what I mean? Like okay. I don't got no beef for anybody. I don't got no ill will towards anybody in this industry. But um, I was fired from that place, you know what I mean? And I was fired because they gave me some, like, whatever excuse. But what I got out of the excuse why I got fired is because I started a pop-up. With my separate own. from that or, like, or within the walls of that spot? No, okay. I didn't do my pop-up in there. Okay. Why did I pop up in my, my parents' basement? Oh, okay. Gotcha. <laughs> you know what okay. I mean? Like, but basically so, that's what it was. So Before I go into ask what that pop-up was yeah um one question i have is uh you were saying that you didn't know the providence cocktail scene you didn't know i didn't know any. i was naive to the whole thing i mean like i used to go out to bars like just like anyone else like i used to be like yo no no egg whites in my whiskey (laughs) (laughs) i feel like that's a kanye west song waiting to happen Mm. like that title just i don't know i guess like that's a kanye line maybe i'm I'm waiting for it now if he comes if he ever comes back to us i used to be the biggest kanye west fan when i was a kid but we're not this ain't about kanye so i just can't like i I can picture he's the only one i can picture right now saying something like that weird and have it have like some odd reference to something odd reference but that's how i'm saying like i used to go to these bars not even all the time i stumbled upon walked inside i mean everybody went to the eddie i mean like eddie probably sees a lot more people that just go in there to go in there than they want to, you know what I mean? Like they mm-hmm. would, yeah. And that's because Eddie's probably like it's the safest bar to go to because it is really, really, really nice in there. And it's hard oh, yeah. to, and it's not, it's hard to miss because everybody goes down those streets in, Pro, in Providence. If you see it, so I think it gets a lot more people than than they need to get in there. I mean, I, I don't, how can I say this? Like the your first cocktail bar that you, I put it this way: the first time you probably walk into a cocktail bar in the city of Providence might be, and it's the first time you ever walk into a cocktail bar. Odds are, it's probably going to be the Eddie. As far as cocktail bars go, it, for me, it was the Eddie. Yeah, for me, it was the Eddie. It's a lot of people for the Eddie because one, it's easy to pronounce, it's easy to see, it's beautiful in there, right? Yeah. It's right off the. It's all. It's, it's amazing little, in there. Like, it's amazing all, in like, there. It's oh, like this it's is, like this is like this is you're on the, the you're on that quaint little beautiful side street. You're like, oh my god, am I in Paris? This is New York. No, 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 no. I'm in London right now. Like, this is, you know what I mean? Like, you're really getting that city feel downtown. So, I think they see a lot of people. So, like, that was one of them. But, again, I had no clue of the cocktail scene. Like, I didn't know that people were at each other's throats. I didn't know that, like, it was super competitive. I didn't know that everybody's throwing shade left and right. I didn't know that. You know what I mean? So, that was actually leading into my next question. (laughs) Issues that you had at that spot 
not not the Eddie, the other spot. The issue I had, the issue I had was eventually. I mean, it was cool to be in there, and I've never really like said this, and like it didn't really hit me until my parents came. Okay. One time, my parents came and checked me out, and I like begged them to come check me out because I thought, I mean, I was like, I really loved what I was doing. I loved what I was doing, but like, and the Dorn's decor wise, and the inside's a nice place. It's oh, like, hey, beautiful come, yeah, place hey, there. Like, you know what I mean? And like, old fed up for those that don't know the the Dorn's. It's, it's an not old the actual. Bank it's yeah, it's the Federal Bank. It never was a Federal Reserve. It was just like the most beautiful bank around. It wasn't necessarily like they never had like gold. Bars in there. I mean, it's got freaking stained glass windows of like. Oh yeah, it's beautiful. It's ridiculous. It's like it's like the it's like UN in there. It's like United Nations in there. It's beautiful. It's like every country's represented in those stained glasses. It's kind of cool. But again, like I didn't like to. I never said this out loud, but it really hit me the day my parents came and checked me out because my mom was just happy to be there, but my dad was just like, "This is whatever." Yeah, I mean, like, and then looking around, they were the only people who looked like me in there. And I knew that, like, I I knew that, like, other people like myself, like, my dad just wasn't that impressed. You know what I mean? And, like, and that's what really made me realize, like, word. He probably would have been, not to say that my dad doesn't like to go out. Like, if you know Scott, but if you know my dad, like, that guy is, like, the king of being social. Like, he was the president of a social club for years. Like, I grew up with my parents being the most festive people I ever met. Like, they, they used to throw these massive parties all the time. Like, I get my... My hospitality through my parents, primarily through my dad, you know what I mean? And his dad. So it's like, he wasn't really that impressed. And it really hit me like, really like, nobody in the room looked like us. And that, and that's what really, that's what my issue was with that place. Not, they were, uh, uh, incre- it, it wasn't them, it was me. You know what I mean? Like, I felt like I had slowly outgrown it that quick, even though I didn't learn everything I needed to learn, but being in that atmosphere, like... Not only was I the only person that looked like me behind the bar, I was also the only person who looked like me in front of the bar. That issue, is was that only localized, and maybe it's a little bit difficult to say because of hindsight, um, was that localized to just that one particular establishment, or was that indicated? I don't you know. Think of, okay. I don't know. I mean, I used to, I used to say it out loud on my chest, and I... I don't really know, but but then I also, like, I started this, like, yo, I didn't really know about the cocktail culture, but I did kind of know that the bars that I did go into, though, or the places that I did go to around here, like, again, people don't look like me, bros don't talk like me, they ain't walking like me, you know what I mean? So, and, like, it's Rhode Island, like, I don't have to tell, I don't have to explain how it is out here, like, it's not, it's still, it's still the Northeast, you know what I mean? So, like, I can feel I, I I can feel the difference every time I walk into a room and like that was a big issue and the thing is it's like I know that I could take this and really put some people onto some dope ass shit who would want to try this some work hard working professionals who were looking for something a little bit different and I felt like I was able to take what I've learned or take some of this and present it in a different way and I did so that. So now, actually, I think that's a good lead into the next question I have because you said you had that pop up, and, yeah. and then things that you wanted to do. Um, that pop up that you said was in your basement. It My was parents' that, basement. Your parents' basement. Was that the precursor to um, my entire life right now? Your entire life, but uh, I guess more specifically, uh, BA, BAS, base PD. Yeah, it I didn't was. know if it was BAS or base. I it's just sure base. I mean, it's so hard. I mean, looking back, I probably should have spelled it differently, but I love the way it looks and I'm never going to change it. Um, so, how it really happened though, so when I was working there, I was working on some really cool bartenders. Like the first couple guys that I met that I was working on, I fell in love with those dudes. You know what I mean? Like, 
they were t- they was putting me on. I mean, looking back, there was, you know, <laughs> like this is the only time I'm gonna do this on this pod on on out loud and like I don't really usually give myself a pat on the back, but I'm really good at making people comfortable. I'm really good at like letting you be yourself. I'm really good at being myself and being comfortable who I am. From the times you serve me drink, I concur. Yeah, I'm really comfortable. I'm really good at making people feel comfortable. And like, I used to make these guys feel like they was the coolest dudes in a room. And like, because to me that they they were, I don't think they got that from a lot of people. So I really, I really, I hung off every word that these guys said because they were very talented bartenders to me. And they was willing to put me on game, you know? And one thing that one of the dudes, the head bartender at the time who was there, and they used to treat him so, they used to shaft his ass. Like, they did him dirty. He don't even bartend anymore. He's just like, fuck it. I'm over this whole thing. He's living a whole different life now. He moved out of state, whatever, whatever. And he was like, yo, you need to get a new pair of shoes to work in. And then you need to buy a bunch of syrups, a bunch of juices, or make the syrups, whatever, whatever, and practice on your friends. Like, invite your friends over practice on them and that's how the pop-up started because i literally just invited my boys over on some like yo look what i can do you know what i mean like gotcha quick shit like i'm talking about my boys my boys like there were no chicks involved <laughs> like it's just my boys from out since i was a kid in high school like they just came over and then but my parents basement i mean i was living out of this but it's a Verdean basement you know what i mean so it's like it's fully outfitted. It's got like its own entrance, a living room, kitchen, washer dryer, bathroom, shower, three bedrooms. Like it was a big basement. And then the kitchen, they kind of built like a counter slash bar area. And I used to serve on that. And it was perfect because my dad, that's the way my dad built it. Because again, my parents used to, all they did was throw parties growing up. They throw massive parties. So like when my dad built the, when he single handedly built that basement with his own two hands, he built it with that in mind that we could host people and that we could just entertain folks. So how would you describe the growth of uh, base? I want to make sure I'm saying it right. Yeah, base. Um, how would you describe the growth of it? Because it started out in your parents' basement, yeah. but then it grew into pop-ups at other establishments, other spots. What was what was that traje- trajectory? I'm, I want to make sure I'm pronouncing it right. Trajectory, trajectory like... Um, and how did, how did you facilitate that growth? Because there's, you know, as far as from what I could see and maybe from like what the outside would see, it's like, oh, it's this, it's this event, it's this thing, it's this night at these establishments. But there was obviously some kind of growth going from parents' basement to that. So could you talk about that a little bit? Just how, how you facilitated that growth and what that growth was like and what you had to deal with and yeah. pain points, any of that kind of stuff. Word. So, I mean, eventually, right, so after I did the first, like, just invite my boys over and, like, look what I can do, like, it really started to turn into, like, full-blown pop-ups. And we were inviting people on strategic dates. Like, one of the first ones I, like, really, really did in my parents' basement, like, I, like, really went all out. Like, we had a menu. Place was outfitted, like, a bar, low, low dim lights. There was snacks. There was candles. There, there was, was, a, was there a DJ as well? There wasn't a DJ. Music? I was okay. playing. I mean, I curated the music list and like. Gotcha. I had really. I mean, at the time. I mean, another thing people always give me credit for, and it's another. I'm fucking. I'm gonna talk about myself. Who gives a shit? That like I. One of my friends says that I'm always listening to music that people should be listening to next year. Or people should be listening to. You have good taste. That's yo. You know what I mean. So like, like I felt I was goes. just playing some tunes, and I felt the tunes were good. Whatever, whatever. So I took care of all that, and it really just started growing and growing and growing organically. And it got to the point where I was like, "Word, I need to get out of this basement because we need." Because I had outgrown the basement, but I had done like four or five pop ups down there. Really, 
so how did you transition from getting getting out of the basement? And I and I think that's so funny getting out of the basement because that's like a term that you could use across like so many different so things. So like many you got terms. Out, you, got out, you got out, but you did get out the basement. Yeah, I grew the basement. Um, and really, Instagram, yeah, I, Instagram, okay, okay, Instagram because I would post about it on my Instagram and then like people would be like, oh, what's this? What's going on? And like just asking questions. How were you choosing or how did you foster the relationships that you were able to do base at like other establishments or involve other entities? Because I've, I've seen some base events that do involve like certain DJs and certain people around town or it's at this, this cocktail spot or this bar or this place or this event. How did, how did you foster that? Like how did you make that transition of like, hey, you're at these places now yeah. and that like – your 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 thing is the reason to go to that place. Maybe it's not the only reason to go, but like you're making it like a a thing. Like, yeah, um, I hear you. Yo, you know? so that started. I mean, first and foremost, again, it starts through Instagram because we posted the story. I posted on my story little snips snips here and there, and like one after. I think it was after the last one I did in my parents' house. The next day, I worked the shift at that place there. Gotcha. Okay. And at the time, one of the bartenders there, this woman named Rachel, who was just I like if if I had never if she's the reason why she's the one who kind of like she invited me to do a pop up at she was running a supper club with a friend of hers this woman named Siobhan a woman who used to own Berry oh okay yeah yep. they just had a ba- beautiful baby daughter because that, that's how I met you yeah that's how Barry. I met you at Berry yeah so it was them so before they opened up Berry they was just doing like supper clubs out of Siobhan's apartment it was a beautiful weird space like those pictures are gonna last forever. It's a beautiful space, and we did a. And that was like our first ever like pop up, basically not in my parents' basement. So to me, that was like our first official one because we invited folks, we gave people invitations, we charged people to come. Like the ones at my house, I didn't charge anybody anything. You just come through. You know what I mean? Like I just come through and chill. But this one, we were charging folks. It was very curated. It was curated down to the T, and it really threw people for a loop. And then we just hit the ground running from there. Really, again, through social media and then, but like Rachel knew a lot of people and I got connected through a lot of people through Rachel, who lives in Italy now. She just like packed up her shit and bounced. Um, I wish she still lived here because we'd be doing, I feel like I'd be doing so much more, but we're moving at a good pace without her anyway. Um, at a great pace, actually. But I wish she was just here because she was so, she was in like an inaugural part of the team. You know what I mean? Like without her, I wouldn't, I would have never really got started, kind of. She was like a day one. Day one. And she was really like the one who kind of like, she's the one who introduced me to Siobhan. And she's the one who kind of got me into that space. And like, and she helped me with a bunch of stuff. She also worked a bunch of events for me, too. So whatever. And like, again, it was through Instagram. And like, it was through people just honestly, like, if you move in a certain way or you present yourself in a certain way or you work a certain way, people are just going to be naturally gravitated towards it. And like, gotcha. if it looks, I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like if it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, I want to go pet that duck. You know what I mean? So do it's, do you think it, do you think it's, it's, it, it came from like an authentic place? And an authentic I think so. Voice? I think it came from an authentic place because like I said, like I wasn't in this industry before. Like I knew a few people like, you know what I mean? Like I know a bunch of people in Rhode Island because I'm from Rhode Island. I went to URI. I have a twin brother here. We know a lot of people. So like, but this is a different realm that we started to talk people we started to meet and it really just started to grow organically and like and then it was people just reaching out a lot of the things that we did it was people reaching out to us like I think gotcha. every single class I think almost every I mean I might have I mean I, re, I remember when I first saw or when I first started to realize who Charlie Toons was you know who that is the uh, low-key guys oh okay all right I approached Charlie Toons though because I knew that guy was mad cool 
and like this is a grip ago. But I'd let him know because I knew that he was playing stuff that I wanted to play at my parties. That I knew that we and him had similar taste in music. So I approached him and let him know what I did and what we were doing and what I was looking for. And then that's how me and him got cool. And then that's how I got cool with the low-key guys through him. And we did a bunch. Of, we've done some stuff with them. We're actually planning something with them right now. But, like, who else when we worked? Who else when we worked with? Well, when we did Barry, that was through Rachel and Siobhan. Like, Siobhan became, like, Siobhan's become one of my really good friends. You know what I mean? Um, what else did, who else did we work with? Did you guys do Justine's? We did Justine's. That one was, that one was, I remember, like, when I first started doing bass and, like, I went to Lonely Street one night. We did Lonely Street before we did Justine's. I was gonna, I was gonna ask which one came first because we did the Lonely, Lonely Street, Street and no, and I remember the person who was working there was like, "Yeah, this guy's never gonna go for it." I'm not gonna say his name, but they were like, well, "He's never gonna go for it. He's never gonna go for it." And then, sure enough, but I made that connection through Rachel because Rachel was good friends with him and she had worked with him before. Gotcha. Okay. And Rachel made that connection. Basically, was just like, "Yo." Basically, just put us on, and then we were able to do that. And like, again, and what he saw when we when I worked with him, I mean, like, again, like, I think I do a good job of establishing relationships with people, and I think I do a good job of just being myself. And I was able to be myself with this one of the best. This guy, like, if you name, if you start to think about, if we start to think about, like, all the like bars, like, real deal, like, classic cocktail bars, right? Like, his his name comes up a lot for a lot of the places. Like, if you're talking like the Magdalene Room, like Louis Fuller's, Isadora's, Isadora's. Now, I mean, Isadora's really isn't really anything now. I mean, but before, like, this is before, like, the Magdalene Room. Before it was, this is again, like, I feel like Isadora's was Magdalene Room Part Two. Yeah, but Issa, but yeah, but Magdalene Room was in this prime time location. Like right. if you show that was again, that was like people I remember going there in like 2013, 2014, you know what I'm saying? Like, who what else did he do? Uh yeah, Lonely Street, Justine's, all these places, like they all have a common theme. It's like that guy right there. So like I got to learn a lot from him and worked with him. Um, and we got that Lonely Street, and I think he saw it. We filled the room. We put more people in one night in his room. On an off night, then he done in the whole week. So it's like I think he he kind of saw. I mean, he was he just kind of saw the pull, and then got to the point where he was the one reaching out to me. You can't even text that guy. You can't pick up your phone and call him. He doesn't have a cell phone. He don't have a. He got a landline. I don't even think he got a landline. He only communicates through email, and he emails me all the time talking about we should. You, yo, are you interested in doing this? It's a quick payday for him. We get to use a real beautiful cocktail bar. We did, but we also put people in places that they haven't really been before. Our audience, they haven't been before, and that goes back to what we were doing in the beginning, where really we're trying to put people on to these new things. For people, again, just to note, if you are outside of Rhode Island, these are all amazing. Like all these places we just mentioned are amazing, beautiful cocktail bars. Classic cocktail, there like you, you know what I mean? Like no TVs in the place. You know what I mean? Like uh, wait, doesn't? Didn't Justine's have TVs behind the mirrors? That's different. Oh, okay. That's different. Because he's not playing no sports or he's no, not he, playing. He's playing like classic black he's and white like, movies. He's like playing Casablanca like Breck- yeah, Casablanca, Breakfast at Tiffany's, you know what I mean? Which like, I always thought was amazing. And same with um and same with uh not the um not Magdalene Room, but Faust had TVs, but they would play like old monster movies and I stuff. I think that was him too. I think he was Faust. Yeah, I think okay, that was go. him too. There you go. So like again, so oh, what was I saying? 
But yeah, like real deal, like Traffic Cocktail, he came up to us. And then we did we did we did one with um Riff Raff because Narragansett Beer had approached us and that was kind of cool. They hit me with some wild the pitch, I'll never forget that pitch. It was like, what do you think this is a beyond like they like <laughs> it was go, just, go into it just because there's a Narragansett connection to episode, I'm gonna probably mislabel it, but I think it's episode <laughs> Five, yeah, with uh, with my buddy Long of Bad Taste, who did a Narragansett collaboration. He so did a Narragansett, yeah. Me, uh, so, shout out to Longston. Uh, he's good friends with Millet. That's actually how I met Millet. When I was I was chilling with Longston one day, and Millet just walked into Bad Taste, and I was like, yeah. oh, "Hey, what up?" Yeah, she had told me about that. Yeah, so, um, so Narragansett reached out to me. This woman, I for, again, I'm gonna leave her unnamed. She reached out to me, and they were just. They just heard about the work that we was doing, wanted to get involved, wanted to know how they could support us and what we can do in some sort of pop-up or whatever. She brought on Riff Raff on board, so that was the location. That located, We did an outside party at Riff Raff in that courtyard behind Troop, pretty much, which was like really off the beaten path. Like You had to know about Riff Raff to like go to Riff Raff. It's not some shit where you just be like, oh, look. Because you can't see it from the street. Like You have to really walk You can walk park your thing. car in behind Troop in that parking lot. You still ain't going to see it. <coughs> and it's a bookstore. It's interesting that it's, it's a bookstore. It's beautiful bar. in there. Oh like, yeah, it is. I would love to still go in there and like knock out a crazy uh, pop up. Like I'd love to go in there and really kill it. Um, I feel like they should do a graphic novel slash comic book book like comic book cocktail night where you like have comic books and cocktails. But that's just my own opinion. Yeah, I, I couldn't. I couldn't. I I'd offer nothing of value to that because. <laughs> Like if, if we like hey like do some comic book related drinks you could probably come up with something maybe but it wouldn't be I feel like a fraud though because I don't read comic books and I don't really li- you know what I mean hold on that's when you get Longston to do it with you because Longston is into comic books and he's got a comic book convention coming up which is shameless self promotion tying back into the previous episode <laughs> and his comic book convention coming up but Word. if you hooked up with him he could provide the comic book knowledge. And Maybe then help you out with that. Maybe, anyway, that sounds anyway. too cheesy for me. Anyway, <laughs> so we did that with uh, Riff Raff, and that was cool. Narragansett reached out, but the, here's where the issue was: this woman, the woman who reached us, reached out to me in the first place, bro, she was fantastic. It really was a pleasure to work with her. It was like, wow, look at this! Somebody with this big ass company job wants to work with us, and she was really just gonna. She they she made it so they paid for a lot of the stuff. You, so awesome, awesome. She okay. was awesome. But she got a new job like two weeks before, two like two weeks after I met her. So okay. when they, I at that point I I went through two different other point persons and like again the whole thing was her idea in the first place. So when she left and it went to another point person and then it went to another point person, they just didn't give a fuck. They just didn't have the same enthusiasm because it wasn't their idea. It wasn't their idea, you know what I mean? And they were just like, "What? What do you do?" So like. That's where the disconnect was, and that's when it got whack, and that's when because all of a sudden, like at a, like at basically at the two yard line, it was given to pe- people that wouldn't have no involvement. They, they don't even like football, you know what I mean? Gotcha, like, gotcha, gotcha, <laughs> so yeah. like, so that kind of got like really kind of lame towards the end. I mean, we still had a fantastic pop up. Uh, I made a great connection with Riff Raff. Tom's a really cool dude. He supported us a m- multiple times. Um, but again, even him too, because like he he was the contact through the first woman and she just knew him through some other stuff. So like that's how he got on board. He wasn't really trying to he wasn't really on board. Like he it wasn't his idea. He just got tapped out of nowhere 
to be like, hey. But she leveraged that relationship. She leveraged she that relationship. And me there. and him met, and we met up, and then it was just super awkward. Uh, but it ended up working. Like, he was a great dude, and we had a fantastic pop-up. At the end, it worked out well. So nothing to really stress about. But, again, all, all these things really just, these relationships that we fostered, this happened all organically through meeting people and then hearing about what we're doing and trying to help. Trying them, trying to make some money too. You know what I mean? Like, um, and we've done a bunch of places. What else did we do? We did the best thing we ever did was the Birch pop up. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was the that was the best. That because that that was the first time we went back to back to back days. We went three days in a row in one establishment. We were the only people at those establishments. We were the only persons, or the only thing running at the establishment. Oh, okay. And that was kind of cool because gotcha. Birch had, remember Birch closed its doors? Yep, R.I.P. Birch. Rest in peace, Birch. He closed his doors and then out of nowhere, I just get a DM from him. Ben Suckles like, I'll drop his name because he's a cool dude and he's like, <laughs> everybody knows who that guy is and like, and he was cool and like, me and him, we crossed paths for a little bit. He was super helpful, you know, I'm pretty sure. If he needed any, like, if he needs anything, if he, if he, if he were to ever need anything from me, because that guy just got so much things going on and connected, I got him. You know what I mean? Because he really looked out for me. He reached out to me out of nowhere on some, yo, you know, like, we're closing our doors at Birch, but we're still on the lease for X amount of days. Heard about your project. Heard about what you're doing. If you would like to use the space for however you would like, for whatever you would like, want to do. Go how nuts. Long, go nuts. Go nuts. And that was kind of cool. Um, because again, he just reached out of nowhere and that was the first time we were able to do like a multi multi-day event. So that's how I was like, word, well, I need to fill the, I need to get a kitchen. I need to get a kitchen staff. I, that was like, once he said yes, I was like, I need to get a kitchen staff. I need to get a wait staff. I needed to get, it was so many moving parts. And at the same damn time, at the same damn time, we had did another pop-up at, we were running another pop-up at, um, at Justine's with the low-key guys. We did like a cocktail tasting and I thought that was pretty well. That went pretty well. We've also teamed up with Cortland Club. Oh man, I can't believe I haven't even talked about Cortland Club. I was yet. waiting for you. On yeah. that one. <laughs> I can't believe I haven't even talked about Cortland Club. Yo, Jay Shetman is like probably the coolest guy in the city of Providence. I mean, I was I'm dating myself, but I was like 16 watching him perform as a member of a uh, rap group Time Machine. Yeah, I can't wait I to ask him about that. But like, yo, he really is. He's just been like, Jay, I love it. If I dated you in any way, I apologize. <laughs> Jay really is just a super genuine person and really nice and really cares. And like, he just really down. I don't know how to say it, but I'm really been fortunate that one, he hired me. Two, that it goes beyond a transactional relationship where it's just like I work for him or I'm contributing at this bar like I go to his house for dinner you know what I mean and we talk about everything like when I need to pick his brain on stuff or whatever the case may be like I really do feel like I have a confident in that in, th in this guy and like he's one of my good friends now and I love him just because he's just been super helpful and he's been super grateful and he's been super just like I don't know man I can go on all day talking about it my girlfriend loves him he loves my girlfriend like we're we hang out all the time. It's just, I, he's just a cool dude, man. I love him a lot. And, I, and I'm looking forward to even getting to know him even more and more and more. Starting from the basement. Honestly, I love this because it's so universal. 
Creatives and entrepreneurs share a common trait. They're able to see problems where others may not, and provide the solution. Early on in Michael's bartending career, he noticed a problem. That problem was that people behind the bar and in front of the bar didn't look like him. He also wanted to put people on to drinks they never had before, in places they have never been before. So Michael decided to be the change he wanted to see, and started serving his friends in, where else? His parents' basement. He eventually grew out of the basement and into having pop-ups at sought-after venues, and gained such a reputation that those venues were calling him. So follow Michael's lead. If you see a problem, don't wait. Start. Start from the basement. So you were able to grow base from a organic, like you got these different spots, you're growing the audience, you're growing the opportunities. Um, but I do have a question on the more of like the back end um, business side of things. Uh, oh, that was a nightmare. It still is. <laughs> so, so one question about that, uh, social enterprise greenhouse and Hope and Main food incubator. Oh, wow. Have you worked with both of those and did they help with uh, base or did they help with other things that you were doing? They helped. All right. So they helped because, again, I was working in education. I had no idea. I mean, I grew up, I didn't think I was going to want to own a business. I didn't think that I was going to want to do any of this stuff. It wasn't something, this was never anything that I thought that I wanted to do or that I even just remotely even thought about. So, when I decided that I was gonna, I'm gonna start a cocktail business and I'm gonna, da, 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 da. like I had no idea how to run a business or start a business or even what to do. And what places like Social Enterprise Greenhouse do and places like Hope and Maine, they, they take people like me who, who need all the help and infrastructure. So and you they, have the idea, but you don't have the back end info. Thank, thank you. And they give you the back end info and it gotcha. was really helpful and it was really grateful. Um, without without both of those programs, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. So, just to um, dive a little bit deeper, because one, I think social enterprise greenhouse, depending on when you listen to this episode, um, but social enterprise greenhouse was in local news recently because uh, Vice President uh, uh, Kamala Harris um, visited social enterprise greenhouse. Oh, did she really? Yeah, because because uh, like Damn, I was they, didn't hit me to, they didn't hit me to serve her with some drinks though. <laughs> SEG, come on. <laughs> but she she had visited. We just had a drink named after Kamala Harris. Uh, but she had visited. The the laughing is is by the way not planned. So that, that was just a weird no, time. Yeah, thing. but I, but um, but thanks guys. I'll be here all night. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she had just visited. So I'm just curious. What did uh. Do they do both social enterprise greenhouse and Hope and Main Food Incubator cover the same stuff, or did like uh, for one the most cover part, certain things and the other one? For the most other? part, they cover the exact same thing. Okay. It just so happens that at Hope at uh, Hope and Main, you can just follow through and get your licensing, and you can actually use the space to like build your food. And social and the thing about but Hope and Main is primarily for like food and restaurants hospitality uh, not, but like yeah but food products really oh okay food okay products gotcha and it really is an emphasis on product like it, if you got a food product you need to go to hope and maine if you are like us like a caterer i was just about to ask because you didn't have like at least a we'll get into you do have a product but that's a different thing. product but, but like but base doesn't have a specific product, product. or service we're a servers. I mean, the base product is mixer. That's right. on the base. But okay. like, yeah. So 
that's what's tough about Hope and Maine is like if you're selling cookies or right. dog treats or like peanuts or almonds, whatever. Or if you have ideas for that, if you that's have the ideas, place to go to. That's the place you gotcha. want to go to. And then for so, a caterer company, I don't think you want to go there just because you don't necessarily have a product. So that, is that where Social Enterprise Greenhouse I did came Social in? Enterprise Greenhouse before I did Hope and Maine, actually. Gotcha, okay. And Social Enterprise Greenhouse was nice because they really, you, you're not only, like, it wasn't, I wasn't, I think in my incubator, I was the only person doing something with hospitality. You know what I mean? Like, people were in there, were building, like, one guy, I mean, people were in there building all types of things, all types of social enterprises. You have to be a social enterprise, meaning, like, you need to be, for, I mean, you need to be doing things like, like, basically, like, how are you strengthening the community and what? And, and at what capacity are you doing it? Like, why, what makes you so different? And if, or it's like, are you minority owned or are you women owned? Like, you know what I mean? So like, that's what social enterprise looks for. Those type of things. Hoping man will take any Joe Schmo off the street as long as you got the dollars. You know what I mean? Uh, actually, I was, uh, that was going to be my next question. Yeah. Did either one um, of those organizations charge you? And, yes. They and if both so, how much? Do. So uh, I'm not going to get in how much they charge just because. I don't want people to know how much I paid, and I don't want to put their Fair business enough. out there. Fair that's enough. not up to me to. That's not me to air them out like that. Um, you know, social enterprise greenhouse. It wasn't a lot at all. I mean, I was broke. I'm still broke, uh, but I got a lot of stuff going for me now, so it's different now. But at that time, I didn't have booth. I didn't have base. Wasn't a catering company. Like I didn't have mixer. You know what I mean? So I was still just teaching and bartending. So I was broke. You could apply for it. Like the cloak, the SCG, I will say the SCG greenhouse wasn't that expensive. It was like 300 bucks, 400 bucks for the whole incubator. But if you basically gave them like a, I don't, don't want to say sob story, but explain to them why you don't think you need to pay for it. And I didn't have to pay for it. Why well, I just pay half of some shit. Hope in Maine though? <laughs> it cost me some dollars. So did both help with... Because um, I, I think you might have said just a few moments ago that Hope and Maine helped with the getting the licensing. As Hope and Maine helped like, me get my licensing. Yes, gotcha, because okay. you can use the Hope and Maine as because it has a commissary kitchen. It's a beautiful, state of the art commissary kitchen. Zuh. Multiple commissary kitchens in there, multiple kitchen spaces in there for because again, it's an incubator and they're hosting a bunch of different people making a bunch of different stuff. So Hope and Maine helps me get help help me get my catering license, and then once you get the catering license, you apply for which is called a Class P license, which allows a caterer to sell alcohol up to five hours a day at a catered event. Granted, there is food being provided. That was going to be my next question, actually. Yeah. So I have to provide food, or but I always just outsource the food. Gotcha. And so did both or either one help you with things like... Um, Dealing with, with tax the state? Nope. Deal with, all right, how about with taxes as far as nope. like... LLC or anything. So nope. you learned all that on your own. Learned all that? that on my own. Okay, yeah. gotcha. What was that experience like of just being like, hey, you like that sole was proprietorship very hard, versus man. LLC versus well, like, you got to do your taxes different yeah. now, man. Yo, man, that was very hard. It still is very hard because I'm just not a technical person. And the reason why I'm digging into this is just because I want to help other people out there who are trying to do anything. And like, yeah, this is and the I want to help deal with. do that too. And I really want to help people do that too. And I, but during the times, man, it was very hard. And you're dealing with the state and it's like, Man, them people wake up and work nine to five. They don't give a fuck. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> like, nobody wakes up to go work for the state office unless you a crooked politician or you a statesman and you really pulling some strings. Nobody wakes up and goes who works at the DMV and is just like, you know what? Today I'm gonna help I'm, some people. I'm, no, I'm gonna put a brand new motorist on the road. <laughs> Nobody says that shit. Nobody gives a fuck. You know what I mean? I mean, so like, province is one of the most corrupt cities in the entire. It is not United even. A, States, I'm not saying I dealt with corruption. What I'm no, saying no, I'm, is, I'm, I'm only joking. I'm no, <laughs> I had to get into the room with some old, you know, some old mob boss, and and, and, and sell my soul to get a liquor license. That's a separate podcast. <laughs> <laughs> sell my soul to get a liquor license. But what I'm saying is, like, people weren't. I mean, it just took so long. And I'll, I'll, I'll put it to you in this way. Like, you get information pieces by piece by piece by piece, especially if you call. Nobody's trying to answer the phone. And once you get them on the phone, they're just trying to rush you off the phone. Like, and I hope that I had a very different experience. And if somebody hears this, they'd be like, damn, Mike, you're completely wrong. I hope I'm fucking wrong. But, bro, that shit was bad. And I'll put it to you like this, and this is all I'm going to say. It's going to take a little bit. Supposedly, say you have a to-do list of things you need to do to get this to get your license, right? So you gotta do A, B, C, D, E. Mind you, this is in the middle of a pandemic, which some things got a lot more organized. Shout out to the DMV. Registered my car real quick. That was nice and easy. But some things just was ridiculous. And the state service was still doing a bunch of stuff by mail. So, for example, so if I had to do A, B, C, D, and E to get stuff done, right? So they go, they'd be like, oh, right, you did A right? Well, you screwed up on B. So they would, screw, they would take it, fold it all the way back, ship everything back to me, right? And be like, yo, you, did, you messed up on B, so can you fix B? I'd fix B. I give it to them, so they'd be like, uh-huh. And this, a, I'm right? assuming this is all manual. Like you couldn't do this stuff online. They no. it's all through mail. All through mail. Oh, great. So you, <laughs> fantastic, so, bro. I mean, you probably could have did some of it online, but whatever. I live like right on Capitol Hill, so like it was like right. I'm like right there. So and, I, I used to be like, yo, I can drop in any minute. And just to clarify, was this both the business and like the liquor license or licensing related stuff or was it all of that i just want to this one was the liquor license one that took the longest so that was that was so the liquor license stuff was unavailable online and you had to do manually and it was like you did step c wrong and then like and then they would send you back right so then you do like say if you did a right and then b wrong they would send you back like yo you did b wrong then you get it back like i bet you a looks correct b looks correct. oh you messed up on c Gotcha. Okay. Then they repeat that whole process, send it back to you, as opposed to them just going through the whole thing, giving me a list of things that I need to do to correct. They were just doing it one by one, which was really frustrating because it was like time and money. Now, just to clarify, because you're saying that that was for liquor license, but I thought you had got the license through uh, Hope and Maine, or was that I got, yeah, I got my catering license through Hope and Maine. Which allowed you to serve alcohol if there was food present no, for X amount of hours? No, the catering oh, license, okay. you're just a caterer. Gotcha. As a caterer, you apply for a Class P license. Excuse me, I'm like getting loud now, because this shit gets me so angry. So as a caterer, you apply for a Class P license. So as a caterer... You You're can do X, Y, and Z. X, y, but, what, Z. But, but, but Hope and Maine could not help with the application process of the class P, which is where you had or to go they just the state. wasn't in the capacity or, or, to do or it. Like, I, okay. I, I mean, again, I don't really want to talk because I, I met some wonderful people there and like maybe they felt a certain type of way about me and they, I was deaf to it and I was aloof to all of it. You know what I mean? Like it could have been me, right? Oh, oh, okay. I'll say that out loud. You know what I mean? Because I'm not one of those people who are going to be like, I was done wrong. I wasn't done wrong by them, but like it got to the point where I didn't really feel like I was being helped, nor was I being super helpful. But like, what was it? Wasn't my job to be helpful. 
I paid gotcha. y'all that money for y'all to be helpful. Gotcha. Okay. You know what I mean? Like that's not my job here. My job is to come here with problems. Y'all supposed to give me solutions. I felt like I wasn't getting a lot of solutions from them. You know what I mean? So like, whatever. So this craziness you're talking about right now with the state was was in in regards to the class P stuff. Yeah. Okay. Just want I just want to make sure I got the. That's the class P and like just going through dealing with hope and Maine kind of like. Okay. Okay. Some people, and then like I heard some mixed reviews from a lot of folks about them too, because some people felt it was great that went through them. Other everybody has their own reservations. Like again, couldn't be doing any of this shit without Hope and Maine, so I'm not gonna sit here and act talk one way out of my mouth. It just like towards the end, it was just kind of like, yeah, you know what I mean. Again, it's not my job. To, right. It was like, you know what I mean. It wasn't my job to be helpful. It's 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 more of um. Just because I have a background in tech, it's more of like almost like the shared responsibility model. It's like, okay, well, I'm paying this amount of money, so like, what ends of things are your responsibility? Thank that you. Because it was for? a lot of money, versus bro. like versus like what's what am I responsible for? And if that's not, it was clear, a lot of money. Like I was gotcha, giving them okay. more. I was giving them more money than I was making in a week. Like for some of the services that I paid for, like mind you, I'm a teacher, a broke one at that. Like you know what I mean, like. Some of the money that I was giving, it was just like, so that's what I'm saying. It got to the point where it was just like, word, yes. It felt like it was shared responsibility, but it was like, it wasn't shared fucking money. You know what I mean? Right. So, so it was one of those like, hey, I'm paying you X amount of money. So like, aren't you supposed to be taking care of dot, dot, dot? And then like, what am I supposed to take care of in yeah, regards and to how much I'm paying like, you? Yeah, and it just was whatever. But then whatever. Then you just like go through and then like, I had to like, luckily I know some people who work for, who are some statesmen. Luckily I know some people who work for the Department of Health. Luckily, I knew someone who worked for the state. Luckily, luck, and those are me being lucky. That's just me, that's just the 30 years I put on this earth at that point. I'm 31 now, I just done 31 two weeks ago, but up and that's just, just off the people who I knew who just so happened to work in these positions, I was able to tap them. And that's how I really got it. It, it took to that point. I had to be like, yo, all right, I'm calling in a favor. Yeah, and, and again, this is just the licensing. So this is outside of like you having to become a business entity I'm the business this is I mean you had to be a business entity before well before was, you even do that okay. do all that I mean like I gotcha. well, Hope and Maine does that for you too but I already saw oh, okay. the Hope and Maine as an LLC I knew I was gotcha. going to do sole proprietor because I was dealing with alcohol so just in case I got my ass sued motherfuckers couldn't come after me you know what I mean which is why you did the LLC versus LLC sole, versus sole because, proprietor um, I'm selling t-shirts and I'm selling T-shirts and shoes or jeans, whatever. Not, you know what I mean? You ain't gonna catch cancer off my shirt. You ain't gonna get into a car accident because you put my shirt on. For the for, I feel like somebody's tr- probably tried that in a lawsuit. That as sad as that sounds. Um, for those that are listening though, um, if you were, if you just want to clarify, um, that's the advantage of doing the LLC versus sole proprietors. That if it's if it's sole proprietor, they can come and take your personal assets. Yeah. Where if you're an LLC, they can only come and take. If what God the- forbid something bad happens, they can only come and take the assets that are under the LLC. So exactly. it kind of helps you from a, the entity is different from the person, even though the person is running the entity. Exactly. exactly. Um, so now this, this goes into an interesting uh, two, actually two questions. One, um, cause you mentioned a couple of things. Are there advantages? I guess this is one question. Are there advantages or disadvantages of being, of how uh, base is set up? in that it is a event slash catering company. Hopefully I'm classifying it right versus it being like a bar. Like was, we was are that not like a, a bar. So <laughs> like, like, or like, like it's not like an actual bar that you can go to from a, and even from a business standpoint, like um, was that, what are some of the advantages of the way that that base is set up? And was that uh, 
was that the plan from the get-go or is that more like, hey, we can do it this way for right now? And then it you're like, oh, really, this is kind of nice, yeah. like doing it this way. It really has been set up like that since the beginning because I knew that I like to do, I wanted to, I mean, I still do. I still want to do, be able to like pop up in incongruent spaces, right? And be able to be this roaming cocktail program. That that phrase right there, people have been saying it over and over now. Rody, hey, Rody Magazine just said it, but like I got that from Ben Suckle because he's the one who said it like that. But it really was supposed to be like a a roaming cocktail program that pop ups that pops up in all these different spaces that you wouldn't think a cocktail bar would be. So you'd go to an event like, oh, I'm in the public Providence Public Library. Oh wow, there's a cocktail bar back here. In between the history books. And Providence Public Library is kind of a beautiful spot to That's have what I'm a drink. So, yeah, you know? Or it's like, wow, I'm in, I'm in the I'm in the laundromat and these guys got drinks. At the laundromat, there's a DJ here in the laundromat. Oh shit! I'm in the old one of the oldest diners in the country, Elmwood Diner. Why is there a cocktail bar in here? You know what I mean? So, I wanted to keep doing something like that, and that's how. And then, because I knew that's how I wanted to do it, that's how it was presented to me. Like you need to structure your business as a catering company, then, because then those to give you that flexibility. To give me that flexibility, and I don't have the capital. Nor and the money, nor the time and patience to have a brick and mortar and go into a full blown bar. That shit costs a lot of money. You get the license, staffing, kitchen. You gotta pay people to work. You gotta pay for the food. You gotta pay for the boot. You gotta just pay for so much shit. And like, I'm not there yet. You have base. You have booth. We've talked about two out of the three of the holy trinity that you run. <laughs> um, and you had just you mentioned it a little while ago. Uh, could you describe for anybody listening what mixer cocktails is? <laughs> so, shout out to Millette, shout out to Georgetown University, <laughs> the grads. Um, so, mixer is Millette's brainchild. Um, it was really a way of right. So, we're doing these pop ups, and the pop ups were like few and far between. They maybe like once every three to four months. I'm working full time, so it was hard to do those things. As fun as it was, as much merit as we got off of them as much people as we were able to service and touch, it was still hard to connect with our audience on every day or whenever they wanted to connect with us, right? So Mixer is a way for us to connect with our audience when we're not doing, we're not actively doing a pop-up event. By the way, I, um, not to sidetrack too much, but I just want to say, bought one of your cocktail kits for the holidays, brought it to my parents' house, and both my parents like loved it. Yeah, they see, were like, you know what I mean? Like, it really is her, again, brainchild. So she came up with the idea that like, what if we just sold people what if we just sold the ingredients and the stuff and the things to make cocktails? So garnishes, syrups, instructions, bitters, tools, like a jigger and all that to make cocktails. I was surprised at the, at the jigger. I was like, oh, like, wow, they put a jigger in here. Like, I was not expecting that Like when I got, when I got mine. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's cool. We're about to change that model pretty soon. Um, but I really like having the jigger in the box. All right, but let me continue explaining it. Yeah, sorry. So basically, it's like, so how I try to break it down to folks immediately is like, word, are you familiar with HelloFresh? Blue Apron, all that stuff. They send you all the, I mean, I'm, I hope they don't come Did, after Dinner my in a box kits. Dinner in a box kits, whatever. You do all, they send you all the stuff and you make these perfect little quaint meals. That's what we do. We send you everything you need to make perfectly craft balanced cocktails at home, except the liquor because it's very hard to ship liquor uh, over state line. So we were like, you know what? We're not even going to deal with it. And we don't need to do that because if you're a functioning adult, 
You should be able to go get liquor on your own. You probably already have it at home. Or you, you should have it. it at home. And like we're at the age now. A lot of folks, people are I mean, I'm 31. I don't you mean you're older than me, but like we only bought bottles and finished bottles in college. After you get out of college, maybe a couple of years, you're still crushing some bottles. After a while, you buy a bottle, it sits on the shelf in your house. Yeah, you, you have a liquor cabinet. You have a liquor cabinet now, or, you have all the display, but you're cart. Exactly. But you're still trying to make drinks for folks, or you're still trying to you know, entertain people, whatever the case may be. And like, that's what Mixer does. So we send you enough ingredients to make two different cocktails for each. So each box comes enough to make eight cocktails and each box is catered to a specific spirit. So for example, our first box was a whiskey box. Uh, we, we sent people the ingredients to make a whiskey sour, like a classic whiskey sour, and then a take on a whiskey sour. So each box has a signature craft cocktail that we come up with and a classic cocktail that just most people are familiar with. And we have a gin box. We just released our gin box. We have a vodka box. We have a tequila box that does really well. And we do the whiskey box. Like we just had a four, just right now, a few hours ago, we just completed a 40 box order. That was our largest order to date. And we do a bunch of those orders. And that's what's been going pretty well for us. And Mixer has just been really cool. Like I said, if it wasn't for Millette, I probably wouldn't be doing Mixer because... I didn't really had no interest in it in the beginning. I ain't gonna lie, because I was just so focused on pop-ups and bars and getting my license. But like Mixer allows us to do all the other things, and Mixer's still cool because what we're able to do is like it's still part of the mission. And like, like I said, I love Mixer. Now, like in the beginning, I was a little like, eh, we're gonna do what? You know what it was? I was like afraid of selling a product. I think that's what it was because I feel like every time you open up Instagram now, people are selling something, and I didn't want to be that guy. You know, like Base was different because I was selling a service. And I was putting, I was doing something completely different. But this was a product. So I was afraid to sell the product. But like, man, Mixer has just been nothing but blessing on blessing on blessing. And at the very same time, like, yo, we're teaching you a skill. We're teach, we're also selling to you activity. So we're bringing people together. And you're, we're learning. It's a cocktail something party new. in a box, at least. It's a cocktail party opinion. in a box. It's like, oh, you could do your little vodka sodas for your friends, or you all can pretend you want to suck shots. And an hour into your night, you're gonna hate yourself. Or, or, or. You could really put together these beautiful, elaborate, simple cocktails that are easy to follow and really wow your guests and introduce and become and learn how to become a bartender. Because in a nutshell, that's all you need to learn. When I was first taught, it was like, yo, you need to get the, you need to get the classics down. You need to get the sours down. And most of our drinks are built off what it takes to, be, to make a sour. Was, was Mixer, as far as the idea, just because um, from a timing perspective, was that mm -mm. created... Mm -mm. That was created before the pandemic. I was about to ask, like, was that yeah, before Everybody always goes, oh, wow, you guys did the thing. Like, no, again, we're not those people who are just like, we're bored during the pandemic. And, and again, not to shame anybody who's doing that, because, but the pandemic, we definitely saw a lot of people just creating shit and selling shit, right? Because you needed to make means. Everybody's bored. Everybody's on the internet. But Mixer was really created well before, well, well, well before the pandemic. I'm talking about June, July before the pandemic. Oh, wow. Okay. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. this thing was, like, put together a grip ago. It was a team of hardworking professionals. You know, that's a very good point because I remember walking. Um, there was, like, a summer event, I think, at the Dean Hotel. And I remember you guys talking about it. So, yeah, you're, you're, you're yeah, absolutely right. The, yo, we and that was even before. It. Actually, I'm... That was a year before that. 
They yeah, did you're that. Right. We, it was a year before you seen us at those. Um, oh, so even before that, you because that was the during the that was during the pandemic though. Those um, was exciting. Yeah, those were during okay. the pandemic. All so right. again, so this was like the summer before the pandemic. Is gotcha. When these boxes really started, and it was Millette and her team of her awesome colleagues slash uh, you know friends that she went to school with. And then they were able to really get this thing off the ground. Like a team of people who had worked for these world-renowned companies who were in this, like taking this, you know, graduate course with Millette. You know, they're all, all these kids chasing their MBAs. And like one of the classes they had to do, everyone had to like pitch an idea for a business. And she pitched this idea and people fell behind. Also, if you see Millette, if you hear her talk about anything, she's drop-dead gorgeous. So like everyone's going to be like, oh yeah, whatever she wants to do. You know what I mean? So like, and she's really cool. She's really smart. So like, she does, she's we'll a, follow her into hell, we will. Yeah, exactly. I'm doing it right now, except it's not hell. My life has been tremendously better ever since I met her. But what I'm saying is, like, but she's also, like, she's just, she's just incredible, man. And, like, she had just had this wonderful idea, and she's really easy. She's just an incredible leader, so she was able to do that. And, like, again, these team of people who had worked at renowned companies, like, one of the guys who had, like, really helped her, I think, used to work for Twitter or something like that, or, like, but just the people who had all had their jobs, like, she was working in state government before she went to Georgetown. You know what I mean? So like all these people who had all these incredible resumes were working on Mixer and beginning to get it off. And it was just part of a class project. And when the class was over, boom, I just had like this little like picture like the stork just dropped off a baby on my arms. And at first I was like, I don't want this baby because it's not mine. But now it's like I've grown to love it. And like, you know, we had a conversation about like the only person who's really able to take this thing to the next level is someone who's been working in the industry of this. You know what I mean? Like I was the bar, I'm the bartender. You know what I mean? I had the connections. I know. So you've got the background for, I had the background for, and like, again, I wouldn't be able to be doing any of this without Millette. So it was like, we work, we really, as we were just a team and mixers just been great. And we have four boxes. We're about to launch. We've been doing, and then during the pandemic, we were doing like virtual cocktail bar, uh, bartending, teaching people how to drink, make drinks over zoom. You know what I mean? And that was there working. You, go. you know what I mean? Like, that was that was sustainable. Like, I was getting paid to bartend out of my house. We send all the ingredients in the mixer boxes. And, like, usually those people, it'd be, like, a party of, like, four to seven to eight, 12 people. So we do 12 boxes sometimes, 20 boxes, 40 boxes, 30 boxes. Like, do the math. Like, we was making numbers. And then still getting paid to just bartend or consult out of my house. You know what I mean? So, like, now that we have this space here at Booth, we're going to be doing in-person cocktail classes. So think like a wine and paint night, but we're just going to teach you how to make a cocktail. There you go. You know what I mean? So Hopefully it works. I mean, I don't know. It sounds kind of cheesy when I say all this shit out loud, but again, we create activity. We create community. You're teaching you a new skill. Uh, I don't know. It's, one of, I don't, it's something to do. You're going to be in this really cool space booth. But... Having the idea versus having the knowledge. You may have the idea for a business but you may not have the knowledge to get that business off the ground. And that's okay, because when Michael was starting his service-oriented business, he didn't have the knowledge either. That's why he went to places like Social Enterprise Greenhouse and Hope on Main to gain that knowledge to execute his business idea properly. So you don't have money to pay a person or a service for knowledge? Use your social circle. Michael used his partner circle to establish his second business, Mixer Cocktails. Whether it's from a paid service or from friends or even friends of friends, get the knowledge to make your business idea happen.
how do you determine the cocktails that you choose and the stories that you choose to tell? Because I've noticed that base, you're like you had like the um, there was one night I think it was it was like a night about like the history of like uh, either bourbon or rum. It was like brown liquor night. Or something oh like that. yeah, right? that was so like you had, you had that, and then like you have the cocktails that you choose for mixer. So in general, like how do you go about choosing? Your, your cocktails and the stories that you want to tell, whether through, through, it's through mixer, whether through, it's through bass, and then how important do you think storytelling is when it comes to, in relation to bartending? Oh, man. Well, mixer, there's really like a, like a structure that we try to follow because okay. there's a business structure. It's like, we need to get a syrup, and we need to get a sour, we need to get a bitter, and we need to get a garnish, Right. When I say sour, I mean like a citrus. So a citrus, so very structured. citrus, so structured because that way, you know, basically most cocktails are two to three ingredients, not including the spirit. So you already have the spirit. So based on like how many bottles that we use and what we can ship to you, so that's very structured. Base is about my. It's like it's really just been a platform for me to address things that I want to talk about or address things that I want to go over. And like when we did the black and brown. And I want to do that one again. I think that one was probably my most powerful, my most thoughtful storytelling. It was we really just wanted to talk about these spirits that, like, when we talk about bourbon or we talk about fine rum or we talk about cognac, all those spirits have, like, there's a certain connotation that comes with every single one of them, right? So it's like... You certain know, like images and things that pop, pop in your up head. and it's just like cognac's the, an interesting one too huh cognac's at, an interesting yeah one. cognac yeah i can there's a terrible one about cognac people just oh black people just only drink cognac because black people like hennessy whatever like but do you know why they like hennessy i i have no reference i just know that like black people drink hennessy people like well i just know oh, people pass like, the yeah yeah like like hennessy, <laughs> but then but then it was weird is that when i met people that were like really into cognacs they were like oh hennessy's not even like that hennessy's like the one. bottom yeah. shelf it's like, and then and it's just like so why is it from like it just it adds just more questions at least for you me know personally. or it's just like whiskey it's just like you know when you think about whiskey you know, the image or, in my head was like bullet, and I was like, "Oh, bullet sucks." Yeah, <laughs> At but least like for when me. you think about like when we think about these, especially whiskey and spirits, is like if you're drinking like really good stuff, like you, it becomes sort of like this class, classist, elitist type thing where like I'm drinking this fine barrel of whatever, whatever. da da. It's been it's been in a oak cherry oak barrel for whatever, whatever. A monkey took a shit on it. Um, and like they use these. <laughs> I like monkey shoulder, but that's one relatively cheap. And all, all, whenever I see monkey shoulder now, I'm just gonna. Think I don't monkey, even know what that is. Shit, um, it's a blend. It's a blended whiskey. Yeah, it's, not, it's like thirty dollars a bottle. It's not bad. But I got it was some just, blended whiskey on us right now. But, you really want some? But it, but it was just. But it was just funny. You said a monkey took a shit. I'm I just like, like it monkey shoulder now. But like, <laughs> I mean, how can I? I mean, really, it just becomes one of these things like elitist things, like words. So, all right. So, if you're so basically like only white people can enjoy it, all these like really fine, high established white guys can enjoy it because they know what they're drinking and they can tell what the difference is, whatever, whatever, whatever. And then it's just like uh, cognac is like, oh, black people only only black people drink cognac. Da, 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 da. Like, well, do you know why they don't do they? That shit goes back to like World War Two and before World War Two and like. When, again, whiskey was regarded as the white man's drink. And it was like, boy, what you doing drinking that? You shouldn't be drinking that because you're not good enough to drink this. 
This is what I drink. You're not good enough to drink this. You know what I mean? So that's how whiskey. That's how whiskey really kind of like if if you do, do your research, do your history. But then you think, then you like dig a little bit deeper, and you realize, all right, well, who was the people actually making this stuff? Wasn't no white guy. You know what I mean? Like they've been making whiskey since the beginning of time. And if you think white people were were just you know, getting down and dirty and making alcohol? Hell no. You know what I mean? Like, black people were making this thing. Like, have you ever heard of, like, uh, the thing, uh, like, for, uh, Uncle Nearest? I was going to say, isn't there, like, a story yeah, with, like, yeah, like, the, so, like the head we, distiller was, like, for, yes. like, one of the head, like, whiskey companies was, like, by, the like, number one it, whiskey company in but, the country, bro. Right, but, like, didn't get his due because of, like, a because number he was of, black. Yeah, because he was black, <laughs> and, like, all, and, all, black. and all this other craziness because that Because he happening. was black, and they were just, like, because you, yeah, so it's, like, you hear about stuff like this, and, like, again, we still look at it, I remember it, like, reading about that, and I was, like, wait, what? <laughs> like, like, you know what I mean? Like, holy crap. You know what I mean? Like, so, it's just the way America perceives consumerism almost like if a certain demographic consumes something then all of a sudden they're prestigious and elite but then if another person does it it's just like oh it's filthy it's dirty you know what i mean so like and that goes back to the cognac thing too where like you know a lot of people didn't really start drinking cognac until all these guys was in world war ii in france you know france has an abundance of cognac because what else are they making in france um, champagne and wine. Yeah, so there's a bunch of cognac everywhere. You know what I mean? So, and it was very cheap to, it was also very cheap to to purchase because, again, they have it everywhere. So then you got all these, you know, you got all these African Americans fighting for America in World War II and in their time in Paris, they're also visiting these jazz clubs. You know what I mean? And they're also being welcomed in these jazz clubs because they're just American blacks. So they're not, they're not in America. Like, that was part of, that was like the dichotomy of being a soldier in World War II. It's like you're fighting for a country that don't give a shit about you. And then internationally, you're in internationally, country, you're just you're the other just country, accepted. The other you know what I mean? Just like oh, oh, hey, American, hey, human, yeah, you know what American. I mean? hey, American, human, like, like American because they don't have this history that. And this if country they has. and they all do, every country has it, but like you know what I mean? It's not the exact same. It's not the exact history. same. So like these guys are over there in these clubs enjoying themselves, being welcome and drinking this cognac stuff. You know what I mean? It's a little bit sweeter. You know what I mean? So like that's how they really get on it and they bring that back with them when they come to the state. So and then you could also and then also it goes back to like Ebony Magazine. Like Ebony Magazine, if you're familiar with Ebony Magazine. That would Ebony Magazine. Yeah, so, like, they started doing some early ads of Hennessy, too, because they know that people like this. So then, like, you start to see, like, these ads of, like, you know, these elegant black people, you know what I mean, drinking these beautiful Americans drinking uh, this beautiful drink, Hennessy, and, like, that's how that starts, and it just goes on and on and on, you know what I mean? Like, but that's how black people really started drinking cognac, you know what I mean? Because it was more about exception and not, you know what I mean, not just neighborhood tradition. It becomes neighborhood tradition. I'm from Pawtucket. We're in 286 right now. We drink Henny all the time. You know what I mean? But it's just, it, everything has an origin. So then going with that, would you, how would you describe cocktail culture today and right now? And do you think it's moving in a good direction, bad direction? Because you are saying before you started uh, bass because you wanted, you know, you had people that you knew people that looked like you and you wanted to show them the you know these great cocktails you wanted to show them the, the this cocktail culture essentially yeah i want to make sure i'm not misquoting no you. you're fine no you're so, right in doing so do you think cocktail culture now na- like now currently still a far ways to go do you think it's moving in a good direction do you think that there's still stuff going on that's not good yeah um 
Just like your first, current hot take on it, I guess. <laughs> first, I want to say it's not up to me. Okay. So, um, again, it's not up to me. Who cares what I got to say about that? But I do think about it like this, that, yes, it has progressed in the sense where with the help of Instagram, with the help of the work that I've been doing, with the help of other work that other people have been doing, um, that people are starting to be more conscious about what they drink and learn how to drink in a different capacity. You know what I mean? Like I had one of my good friends here yesterday stop by while me and Millette were here. Um, and he said something about egg whites in his drink. And he over the weekend, he had egg whites in his drink. And the person that he was in was like, you're going you're gonna to put what? Egg whites in your what? And he's like, oh, yeah, my boy Mike put me on. You know, so it's like, so I think in that capacity, yes, it has moved on. Um, I think that as is every subject in or every, I guess, subject or every subcategory in the world via some sort of profession or whatever, I think everyone's becoming a lot more conscious about representation. So, yes, we're moving forward in that way. I mean, again, it's not up to me. I just know that, like, the people who I set out to touch or I set out to reach, if you would, the, who I knew that would really enjoy what we're doing, I think collectively that group of people or the audience or the masses or whatever who we're really trying to target, I think collectively those people have moved forward. So, yes. <laughs> this, is really long, this, is a, this is a really good amount to get to yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> but, like, again, it's not up to me because I'm not worried about what other bars are doing. I'm not worried about what other programs do. I'm not worried about anybody. You're like, worried about you and what you're doing. I'm worried about what me and what I'm doing and how we're able to just keep getting our message across. Like, I don't care who, the, who got Grammys last year. You know what I mean? <laughs> gotcha. Because we don't care. Do you I don't think... care who's getting the James Beard Award because... There's people in my circle who have never heard of you. Do you think consumers in general are, uh, when it comes to cocktails, are more educated now than maybe like five years ago? I think consumers in general are more or just, educated or anything, now. I guess. Yeah, a, because a we have the question, power, to, we we have have the the power internet of the internet. Social media. And social media has done this wonderful thing. Or is it wonderful? Well, that's actually a, that's a, that's that's a whole separate that, podcast. It's done this wonderful thing where it really has increased everybody's taste level. Before, you had to go to these places to be able to experience anything. Now you can just whip out your phone and you can see how people are getting down in these elusive places, these places that you probably would have never went before. But now you now But now you, you know can just them. get to it. And not only can you just you can get to it on your phone, if you go visit, you feel like you've been there before because you didn't like every picture from this place for two years leading up to the moment. So on top of that, then what do you think... Um, what do you think... Uh, Consumers of cocktails, or just people like bar patrons, what do you think they still need to learn? Or what do you think that they, what do you wish that they would learn or like knew about that maybe that they don't know about? Like, like I guess like like what new the flip side of that? The flip side, I wish that like again, I wish that people who are trying out cocktails for the first time, I wish that they knew that being patient really helps. Okay. Um, and also, bar if bartenders need to know that. Hurrying the fuck up really helps too. <laughs> All right. So timing is important. Timing is important. Um, I I think that's the only thing. And I wish that people knew that there's a different way to do things. Not that 
just because there's a different way to do things that th- makes it automatically better. But variety really is the spice of life. And if you really try to try some new shit, you, you, you're tired of being on the same up, same old shit you've always been on, and you really want to experience something new, then you should try it. So we were talking about earlier uh, Boston v. Providence. But yeah. just in general, um, Providence and Rhode Island, uh, how would you describe the food and drink or the bar scene or the, the hospitality industry in Rhode Island right now um, versus even when you were on the come up? First, I'm still, I'm still coming up. <laughs> well, I'm still I'll coming say, up. I'll say, I, th- I think you're successful. Like, I guess, I guess versus the early days before, be it, before all this stuff existed. Yeah. First of all, I'm still coming up. Um, and I think... Um, when I, I guess like when I first started, I was like super naive to it. And I really thought that like these people who were behind all these places that we know and love were on a level where they were untouchable and not in a bad way. You know what I mean? Like I really kind of felt like, oh man. So it was like they were on a pedestal. They were like on a pedestal. But what you, what you failed to realize is that these motherfuckers is regular folks just like y'all. And just like us, and like they have lives that they lead, and they deal with stresses just like everyone else, and they're really just trying to do a good job. It just so happens they're really fucking good at their job. So I, that's what I learned the most is that people are just regular folks every day. But the cocktail scene here, and the bar food here, and just the restaurant industry is really—it's really good here. It really, 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 really is good. You can get a lot of different types of food. You can get a lot of different types of the same type of food here in Rhode Island. Like, that's a whole other can of worms that nobody wants to talk about. But, like... I, I concur. You know what I mean? Like, I'll say it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, how many, like, Asian-themed restaurants are we going to have downtown, guy? Like... <laughs> Especially when it's an offshoot of another restaurant. You like know the, what I mean? Like, like, the, like, the, like, the Jack, like, the Jackie's downtown only because I grew up in North Province, so I knew the original Jackie's. Yeah, and then yeah, when they yeah, opened, yeah. like, the fancy downtown, the, I'm like, ugh. it's the same it's food, the same and they're charging, food. More, they're for charging the more for the ambiance. Which is, like, whatever. Which is, hold on, not, nothing against them, because, like, if they can get their money for it, like, yeah. they get your hustle on, but still. I think, uh, but also, I also think that there is a hierarchy. If people don't want to talk about that, fuck it, I'll say it. I don't belong to any of it. Anyway. I was gonna say that, that's interesting, but can you want to tie further into that? Actually, yeah, like there's a hierarchy. Like there's there's you know there's restaurant there's the restaurants that people know are the top restaurants. And you know, like we've sat here and like named off the top restaurants off off of what's the word I want to say off clout alone, just off clout. There's people who name restaurants who never even been to the motherfucker. But, they'll but know they know it because that. they know reputation the pe- of it. Thank you. And it's like, you go to some of these places and it's fine, whatever. It's fantastic food. But again, you just realize that these people are just regular people just like y'all. And I guess to answer your question is like, I think the scene is really good. But my, the only difference that I have now between then is like, I'm as I realize that these people are just like regular folk, like... Just regular folks just doing a hard job, uh, hard, honest job. You went, like, you went behind the curtain. Yeah, I went behind the curtain, and it's just like, oh, well, that, that, that's how the, that's how all this is happening. And that's not to take away any of the anything from anyone. You know what I mean? Like, because you know, because sometimes you get behind the curtain, you're just like, word, that wasn't as pleasant as I thought. And then you get behind. Sometimes you get behind some curtains, and you become really good friends with people like Jay. You know what I mean? Gotcha. So it's like, yeah, because I remember, you know. I, I was having some one of my friends asked me one time, like, oh, I saw you post some shit. Where were you at? Yeah, I was like, oh, I was with 
such and such. They're like, oh, who's that? I was like, the guy who owns Courtland Club. They're like, oh, wow. Like, oh, word. They're like, oh, word. You have a dinner with the higher ups? And I'm like, and me, I'm like, Jay? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Which, but, but I also remember, again, like, I remember, I remember being like, like hell bent on working there at the Courtland Club. And it didn't work out for the first couple of times. That's a long story that I don't really want to talk about. But it was bad. It was like it was it was like it was almost abusive in the first couple of times that I tried to get that job. You know what I mean? Because I thought I got it, or just communication was just the communication was really bad, and it was two people on two separate pages, and I didn't know. You know what I mean? And then then there's me who was just being out in the whatever. But it's also like I'm also looking for employment. I'm also looking for a job. You're doing a shit job of being professional and getting back to me. You know what I mean? Telling me, feeling, making it, making it look like I wanted to work. Making, making it like I told you I wanted to work there, or I was ready to work. And then it just whatever. It was bad. But then all that shit passed over, and eventually I ended up getting a job there, and it's been good ever since. But like, the scene here is great. And I feel like because it's so small, though, it gets super competitive for no reason. And people are not backstabbing anyone, but like people are throwing shade at other folks. Because at the end of the day, it's all business, right? It's all business. Like you can be as cool as you want. Like you could open up a bar, Jay, and I can open up a bar, right? And when I say Jay, I'm talking about Mr. Sylvia right in front of me. You know what I mean? But like... (laughs) The you one can, the one that's hosting this podcast. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you can open up a bar and I can open a bar. And we can be all buddy, buddy, whatever the case may be. Like, oh, yeah, man, I hope you do well. At the end of the day, you got to make your money. You gotta I got to make money. I got, I got bills to pay. Motherfuckers got right. bills to pay. Got staff to pay. Got the, You know what I mean? So, like, it still comes down to that. And I think that gets in the way of everything. But, like, yo, there really is room for everybody to eat here. And that's what I'm noticing, too. And this really is room for everybody to, hate, to, to eat here. Like, I remember when I first got started, yeah, I got a really good welcoming from a lot of folks. But I, there was a lot of people who, were, who didn't know who I was talking out of the side of their mouth or had some very choice words to say about us or just wasn't down with what we were doing. Like I said, I lost my job because I started this shit. Looking back, it was the best thing that ever happened. But, like, yeah, I mean, the scene here is cool, but there's people out here who always feel a certain type of way. But none of this shit, I, I say all that to say this, none of that shit bothers me because I really don't give a fuck. It goes back to saying, I don't care who got Grammys. I don't care who got Providence Best last year. I don't care who got Rhode Island's Best. I don't give a shit because the peop, I, I only care about people who are coming to my base events. I only care about people who are coming to booth, and I only care about people who are buying mixer boxes. I only care about the people who are listening to the stories that we got to tell because how am I supposed to compete with a level that don't that people are not even worried about me. You know what I mean? Like if I'm gonna worry about if I'm worrying about, you know, my people don't know who the my people don't even know what the fuck a James Beard Award is. You know what I mean? They don't even know what these publications are. I get put in all these publications. My people don't read them shits. You know what I mean? They're not subscribed to Hey Rody. They're not subscribed to Go Providence or whatever the case may be. As fortunate as I am to be in all of these publications and people asking us all these questions, they don't listen to that shit because they don't care. I think this is the perfect segue into this question, but I think you already did it. But just ask it directly. Any advice for the next generation of bartenders, <laughs> cocktail-related businesses, business people, uh, anybody that's listening to this that wants to get into the industries that you're in, any, any 
advice for like the, the next generation of people coming in? First of all, do it. And that goes for anything. You want to sell cookies, T-shirts, whatever, just do it. But my message to anybody trying to pursue entrepreneurship or I guess that's what this is, right? Like even I still cringe at when people say that to me, like, oh, you're an entrepreneur. I'm like, no, I'm not. But like <laughs> business owner, business, person, whatever, you know what I mean? Because I'll be like, no, I'm not. You know what I mean? Like, don't call me that. But my advice is, first of all, lean into it. Believe in what you're doing. Work hard, right? Think about what you're doing every day. Like, you need to think. It It needs to be in your conscious. And honestly, but you need to be yourself, and you need to figure out what you're going to tell, what story you're going to tell. Because I say this all the time, like, yo, you can go get a drink literally any fucking where. You can go get drinks better than what we're providing. And you can go get drinks in some place you're going to get drinks that are not as good. But you're going to get some cheap-ass prices, which is nice because... People like a nice price point. You can literally get drunk anywhere in the city, but you're here with us listening to our stories, and we really appreciate that. You know what I mean? So like when, we, when I think about what type of event I'm going to do, I think about what type of story I want to tell, what's going to grab this person's attention to come try to spend their money with us. Because you can go get these cocktails. Like, I'm no fool. Like, I pay attention to the market. You know what I mean? My drinks are current with what's hot. You know what I mean? So it's like, Again, you can go get these drinks anywhere else. So if you're going to do something like this, you need to lean into it and tell your story. Because people, they say it all the time, and like sometimes I feel kind of goofy about it. But like people really be invested in you. you know I mean, they're not invested in... like They're invested in what you're doing because they're, they believe in you and they invest in you. So I guess there's people out there who believe in me and invest in me. So if you can find people who believe in you and want to invest in you, then you need to continue to be able to tell your story. Because they only care about you. You know what I mean? Like, not for nothing. You're, you're selling you. You're, you're selling you. Like, the drinks, you're selling you. Not for nothing. I love my boy Todd, who works with me, right? Nobody comes to base events because they want to see Todd. <laughs> but I, I mean, but like, I throw base events because I want to work with Todd. So gotcha. like, that's where his merit is. But what I'm trying to say is like, people come, they lean into me. And like, so if you're trying to start something, like, go for it. And don't wait. And, and also the... If I could finish this whole podcast on this line right now, I don't know what you have left, and maybe you can <laughs> edit this towards well, the I, end. No, I mean, go, go for it. You really need to, especially in today's world, especially if you look like me, or if you look like people like me, if you look, if you're a brother, if you walk a type of way, you're from a different part of the, uh, you know, you're from, uh, you know, you're just from a different part of the neighborhood, like, and you want to get into these lucrative jobs, like, yo, nobody was going to hire me to, to curate a, a cocktail bar. Nobody was gonna hire me to, to uh, curate these boxes. Nobody was gonna hire me to do any of that shit. I had to go and create the experience that I wanted. And that's how I got my work experience. You know what I mean? Like I was fucking working at a catering club, catering company, doing stupid, I remember I fucking catered a fucking bocce ball event. I was like, what the fuck am I doing here? <laughs> like, it made like 60 bucks on a day. I now want a, a summer base bocce ball event. <laughs> Yo, it's like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, brothers don't play bocce ball, one. You know what I mean? <laughs> I feel like base bocce ball would be great, though. No, hell no. But what I'm saying is like, I, you know, again, and even when like, I was, I was at, at place, I wasn't even there for a year before they canned my ass. 
And I remember trying to, like, they went through staff crazy over there. They went through staff crazy, like, just turning people over, turning people over. And I just kept asking, please, more shifts, please, more shifts. Never got it. Again, I had to go and create the experience. So you need to go out there and create experience. So start that pop-up that you wanted to do. Start that podcast that you want to do because, yo, it's like you right now, right, with your show. You know what I mean? Like, Medium wasn't going to hire you. The Ringer nope. wasn't going to hire you. Nope. You know what I mean? <laughs> Gimlet wasn't going to hire you. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> you worked where? For Dell? For who? For how long? You want to yeah. call your show what? Yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, people only want to fuck with people who have credentials or, like, who they're going to be able to, like, basically... Mon- this whole show was started because I felt like nobody was talking about the stuff that's being talked about, so I was like, oh, I guess yeah, I'll do it. you know what it. I mean? So, like, you have to go and do it. Like, you even had an idea about, oh, you should be able to sell this, send it back. Somebody should do it. Like, bro, you do it. Might as well at that point. You know what I mean? That's, people would eat that shit up. Like, bro, you do it. And, it, and that's what it really is. It's like, yo, you need to go... You need to be the change that you want to see. Create the yeah. experience that you need because yep. no one's going to fucking hire you to do that shit unless you already work for these places. And at that point, we're only key... It becomes nepotism, right? We're only picking people that we like and we're only picking people that have the credentials. And it's oh, just because like, like you have piece of paper X so now we can give you job Y. Yeah. So it's yeah. like... Where it's like, yeah, you had to... Some people had to work hard to get job X. I mean, piece of paper X or whatever the fuck you just said. But it's like... But it's like some people here are untapped. There's so much untapped potential. It's like who knew I was going to be able to do some shit like this? And still to this day, I feel like sometimes I walk around with this like imposter syndrome. I, feel I mean, like, that's, I think that's everyone. But. Yeah. <laughs> I, feel, I, I feel like I deal with that shit every day. You know what I mean? People are always ask, constantly asking me like cocktail questions or just asking me what I'm doing. I'm just like, Word, what about the guys who, you know what I mean, who've been doing this shit for years who don't have a voice in this? And it's like... Well, whatever, nigga, you should have did some flash in the first place. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I think you already did this, but since we're at the end and it's kind of a, a semi-tradition on this show, it's pretty much tradition. Yeah. Um, it's 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 like the same as hot ones. You you now have the floor. You can say whatever you want. I feel like you already did that. But if there's anything else you want to say, and you didn't have to eat crazy amount of wings, shout out the hot ones. But you didn't yeah, have to eat the crazy I amount wish, of wings. I wish I had um, some wings right now. But uh. But yeah, whatever else you want to say, whatever, however you want to end it on, um, floor is yours. Say what, yeah. anything you want to promote, anything people should know about, <laughs> go for it. Well, first you need to follow Booth on Main. Um, you need to follow Mixer Cocktails. Mixer is MXR Cocktails. Um, clearly follow Base PVD. Um, but I really want to give a shout out to the people who have been helping me since day one. And the first person who's ever really believed in me and every single thing that I do, and that's my partner, Millette. We get to wear a bunch of different hats together, roommates, lovers, friends, business partners. Uh, it's, it's a lot, but I wouldn't be doing, I wouldn't want to do this shit with anyone else. So I just want to say shout out to my girlfriend because I love her very much um, and for pushing me every single day. But then also shout out to guys like my boy Nick, um, my boy CJ, who helps me with so much stuff, um, Todd, Christy, who else? Anybody who's ever helped me before. And I'm excited for what's, what we have going on. And I also want to give a huge shout out to Willa from Little Bit of Cocktails. <laughs> I love her. Um, and that's really it. I don't have anything else other than just go do what you want to do and stop listening to people. Set your price and live your life. Well, with that, thank you. Thank you for uh, coming on the show. Thank you for telling your story. I appreciate you having me. And I appreciate you letting me fucking talk shit. 
<laughs> hey. When you let the conversations go, man, that's where the best stories and the best gems of information come from. Yeah. So, so thank you. And, uh, yeah, thanks again, man. Appreciate it. Yo, thank you so much. That's all for this episode of The Creative Capital Show. Thank you for listening. And a special thanks goes to my guest, Michael Silva. The Creative Capital Show is hosted, recorded, edited, mixed, and produced by me, Jason Silva. You can listen to The Creative Capital Show over at our website, creativecapitalshow.com. We're also available on Anchor FM, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other major podcast hosting platforms. If you like the show, please subscribe. Helps the show out a lot. And be sure to follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, LinkedIn, and YouTube. I hope you enjoyed the show, and until next time, keep on creating.